from the Alaska Airline Studio. Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is the Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. They don't make them like us. We're not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing and a fly ball. Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. We got to this is the Blitz at Six. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Blitz at Six. Let me cruise alongside with you Tuesday, April 7th. Thanks for hanging out this morning. Please, you're doing safe and well out there. If you are headed to work as one of the essential workers, thank you so much for all that you do. We are thinking of you. Help them take care of us in this time. And if you're staying home, also, thank you for, for staying healthy and doing your part in all of this. Ahead in this hour, Major League Baseball has a new plan, according to Jeff Passan, that could have the start of the season back as early as May. Now, it would require a lot of stipulations. We'll get into all of those. Also, use the quote, this is like baseball on Mars. It would not look like the same game in any means. It would also mean a lot of sacrifices for players and team personnel. So we'll discuss the potential for that. Also, the latest from Adam Silver on when the NBA could be headed back. And the draft as of now for the NFL, looking like it's going to proceed as scheduled April 23rd through April 25th. So creeping up here. What will technology and the execution logistics-wise of a draft done in individual homes look like? We will discuss all ahead in this hour. Right now, let's get to your headlines. Major League Baseball and Major League Baseball players are close to, well, at least discussing a plan that would allow them to start the season as early as May and has the support of federal public health officials who believe the league could operate amid the coronavirus pandemic in a safe manner. The plan would have a bunch of stipulations, though. It would require that all 30 teams play games at stadiums with no fans. It would all be played in the greater Phoenix area, including the Diamondbacks Chase Fields, plus 10 spring training facilities and other nearby fields. Players, coaching staffs, and other essential personnel would be sequestered at local hotels, so living in isolation, they would travel only to and from the stadium, according to this report from Jeff Passan. Federal officials at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, as well as the National Institutes of Health, have been supportive of a plan that would adhere to strict isolation, promote social distancing, and allow Major League Baseball to become the first professional sport to return to play. Everything pretty much at a standstill as of now. Other people believe that a June opening day could be more realistic than the May date that they are discussing right now. Uh, But most important, the thing that has to happen before they can come back is a significant increase in the available coronavirus tests with a quick turnaround time. Uh, The plan Those familiar with the plan believe this will happen about early May and allow MLB's testing to not diminish for the general public. We saw sort of some of the backlash of NBA players being able to receive 
those tests so quickly when a lot of people right now who are sick aren't able to obtain them. So while health officials see MLB players as low risk for COVID-19 because of age and health, that doesn't mean that managers, coaches, umpires, other personnel wouldn't be at risk. And of course, we know that healthy people can get this too. There's also underlying respiratory conditions that people can have um, that put them at risk. So these tests would need to be in place before this happens. And as you can imagine, just even when you start to imagine the logistics of this, it would require quite a lot. Not only would players have to separate pretty much entirely from their families for an indefinite amount of time, maybe four and a half months, uh, five months, who knows, if the inability to stem the coronavirus outbreaks keeps teams from playing in their home stadiums throughout this season. Uh, with the uncertainty of how long the coronavirus pandemic will affect the United States, though, the reason MLB and MLBPA are discussing this is because it could be a possibility that there would be otherwise no baseball in 2020. And despite all of the logistical challenge, this plan became the league's focus. The MLB and MLPA expect uh, discussions to happen this week and will include also a lot of the money surrounding this because now you can imagine the league is foregoing the gate receipts that account for a huge portion of their annual revenues, uh, revenues that exceed $10 billion. So no fans in the stands um, to bring that money in. The league could also, though, add revenue by adding national television games to its schedule with the lack of other content and competition out there, they could have more nationally televised games. Um, if a deal is agreed upon in the coming weeks, you would probably see a two to three week training camp, according to Passon's report. That's when they could test out all of these protocols, the isolation, uh, making sure that uh, just everything works according to their plan. While the possibility of a player or staff member testing positive for the coronavirus exists, they also said officials did that they do not believe a positive test alone would necessarily cause uh, an entire team or a shutdown to the season. The plan would include teams carrying significantly expanded rosters, though, to account for the possibility of a player testing positive uh, despite the isolation. Also, you have to consider this is Arizona in the summer and uh, it gets pretty darn hot out there. So most of these fields uncovered other than Chase Field. So you're playing in the heat in the middle of summer and you will need those expanded rosters. Also, the possibility of playing double headers has been floated uh, to get in a full game season or at least as close to a full game season as possible. There could be other changes coming to this that you maybe didn't even think about. So those seven-inning doubleheaders are on the table, um, which with uh, an earlier-than-expected start date could allow baseball to get close to their target games using also an electronic strike zone, which we've heard talked about in baseball here for a couple of years as something that they are already looking to implement in the coming years, but now it would allow sufficient distance from the catcher and batter and the umpire. So just, again, trying to practice social distancing there. Also would 
be no mound visits from the catcher or pitching coach. You might see more on the field content like microphones, players being mic'd up to add things to the broadcast. Because again, without fans in the stands, it's just going to be an unprecedented type of broadcast. And then maybe one of the most unusual stipulations, in my opinion, would have players and coaches sitting in the empty stands six feet apart. The of course, recommended social distancing space instead of in a dugout. So you've got players and coaches sitting in the stands uh, practicing social distancing, but not in the dugout. Now, because local TV contracts are very different between markets, uh, those reliant on gate revenues, certain markets could seek a one-year change to the revenue sharing plan among the 30 teams. That's going to be one of many things discussed this week between the MLB and the MLBPA. They also would need to decide how many people would fit inside this sort of uh, bubble that they're creating down there, whether it'll just be on the field and medical personnel or will it include front office officials? Will it be scouts? Will it be video personnel and media? According to Jeff Passan, the league and the union, though, both want to make this work because they realize the alternative might be no baseball at all in 2020. He was on yesterday on Sports Center and talking about uh, can this plan work? I think that baseball sees an opportunity right here. It sees an opportunity where the NBA is shut down, where the NHL is shut down, where we don't know what's going on with the NFL, where Major League Baseball, as it did in 9-11, as it did uh, in World War II, as it has done throughout its history, is going to see itself as some sort of a salve. And that if it can go out there every day and bring some semblance of normalcy, you know, remember... Rob Manfred said these words to you just last week, Scott, and I think they were pretty prescient words because he was at that time talking with the CDC and the NIH, and they did know that this was an option and a possibility. And ultimately, if they are on board and if the players are on board, I think they will this thing to the beginning. Then it becomes a question, can the players actually be disciplined enough to stay inside and to really isolate themselves and ensure that this plan, which in theory is good, sees its way all the way through to execution. But Passon admitting, too, though, that with all of these different changes, this would be like baseball on Mars. This is going to be, Scott, potentially, if the games end up getting played, like baseball on Mars. This is going to be something like we have never seen before in baseball. And I think because this season almost has an automatic asterisk to it because of all the complications and the oddities and the hoops that you're going to be jumping through just to get playing, I think that Major League Baseball and the players are going to be open to a whole lot of changes that make the game different than you have seen. And one of those is going to be, I think, players being mic'd up a lot because this is going to be a television game. And what we saw in all access games on ESPN this spring, I think we're going to see a lot of if games do wind up getting played this season. It's going to be difficult, though, because what are those conversations so often going to float to? Oh, how unusual this is, how awkward this is, how different this feels without fans in the stands. So 
We'll see how this plan shakes out. But both sides, both parties, extremely motivated to make this happen and to make some type of baseball happen in 2020. Up next on the Blitz and for the NFL, they're dealing with their own series of challenges when it comes to putting on the NFL draft. It's right around the corner here at the end of April, one of their biggest events of the year. How will things work with everyone conducting this draft, all the front office personnel from home? It's next on The Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is The Blitz. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Tuesday, April 7th. Still to come in this hour, NFL released their all-decade team. A lot of Seahawks representation on there. Maybe a few snubs, though. So we'll discuss and get into that. But as of now, up first, we got to discuss the NFL draft. It will be proceeding as planned, at least date-wise, April 23rd through April 25th. Commissioner Roger Goodell informed all 32 clubs that the draft would proceed in a fully virtual format in a memo he sent out yesterday. This reported by NFL Network's Tom Pelissero, who obtained a copy of it. League and club facilities are set to remain closed indefinitely to ensure the NFL follows the advice of uh, federal public health guidelines in terms of COVID-19 and that pandemic. And therefore, clubs were advised to prepare to conduct the draft outside of their facilities. Team personnel are also advised to be in separate locations using phone and the Internet to communicate. Pelissero reported that the league informed a group of general managers it was proceeding with plans for a virtual draft during a conference call last Friday. So they've really only had just about the weekend to come to terms with this new reality and what that's going to look like. Now they've got a couple of, excuse me, a couple of weeks to plan for it. Also, in March, the league prohibited teams from conducting pre-draft visits with prospects at club facilities, which meant that teams have to rely on virtual methods of recruiting and speaking with these prospect prospective players, of doing their interviews and conducting everything they would pre-draft online. Yesterday, Chris Mortensen explaining that memo that Goodell sent out that this is moving forward. That Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL, sent to all clubs and basically uh, ruled that the draft will be uh, executed remotely from individual homes. There will be no neutral sites. There will be no personnel at uh, club facilities so that these teams will be there in their independent homes and all personnel involved in the draft. As for the communication itself, both pre-draft and on the day of, that's where things could get really interesting. Dan Graziano saying that the NFL will determine rules for draft communication. Players can't go to team facilities. At this point, he would have been able to work out with strength and conditioning coaches, would have been able to sit in meetings, etc. Can't do any of that. I heard from a league spokesman last night who told me, uh, quote, we anticipate having a decision about the timing and content of the offseason program early this week. So sometime early this week, teams will have the rules for what they can do in terms of communicating with their players, getting them playbooks, having virtual meetings, etc. So that's all being worked out now in terms of the off-season. 
Also, how will this work on actual game draft day? Chris Mortensen explaining how some of the logistics will work. It will be one member of your personnel department in one home, and it's up to the GM or the key decision maker. In some cases, the, the head coach is a key decision maker, like Bill Belichick in New England or Andy Reid in Kansas City. And they will certainly shrink their squad, so to speak. They'll have their key lieutenants available to them. But those lieutenants, those people on the personnel staff, along with the doctor, they will have to be there in their own separate home, isolated. Let's just take a general manager in the basement, in the basement of his own home, having the key guys available by phone, some by Skype and making this selection. I've heard no expansion of the clock in terms of the availability to widen, space out the clock so you have more time to make these picks. Uh, For some people, they think it'll be more efficient. For others, they think it will be more chaotic. Louis Riddick saying communication will definitely be an issue, a difficulty on draft night. Yeah, I mean, look, you heard Brandon say that his IT guy was going to be his most valuable asset on draft night, and there's no question that's going to be the case because, look, he's going to have to communicate via video conferencing with all the principal players, it sounds like, in a draft decision. And then what that would involve is, like, obviously your trainer, your owner, your head coach, and your, you know, maybe your, your chief lieutenant as far as on the scouting, in the scouting department that you would bounce some things off of. Because there's a lot of things that can go into making a selection while you're on the clock that you would have access to in a normal situation where everybody's just right at your disposal. They're to your left, they're to your right, you can just reach over and ask them. Now all these people have to really be communicated with virtually via video conferencing. And a lot of things can happen when you're on the clock. You can get trade inquiries, maybe the player, when you call him up that you're going to select, maybe there's something wrong with him and you have to move to the next next guy. You get a trade proposal, you have to figure out whether or not it's worth it to you. All these things now have to be done have to be done with people in different locations so you have to have that uh that whole situation ironclad and have it really worked out that uh was lewis riddick and speaking i believe on the adam schefter podcast talking about he mentioned at the beginning there brandon bean who is also on it bill's gm and he talks about from his perspective those trades that you so often see happening in the draft well they'll be difficult first of all you're going to have some people that uh, are going to be a little hesitant that are just too many hoops to jump through. And again, I, at this point, as we're talking, um, I don't know exactly how that's going to happen. I mean, uh, used to, you execute the, tr- you know, you agree to terms with a, another GM or another team, and then they have someone call, you know, the, the league office, um, Ken Fiore or, or someone in his staff, and then we do the same. They're all on the phone. They wait. And then once both teams have agreed to the same terms, then the league says it's official. Um, I don't know if it's going to be exactly like that or not, or if, it, if there's going to be some type of electronic um, you know, email or something like that. So, again, I think we're going to have to see how complicated is it versus what we're used to and what's the, what's the time constraints. And are there going to be any parameters once or twice in the draft where you can extend it. You can ask to be extended two minutes or something like that to execute it. So I think all those, as I sit here today, are still some unknown questions, and I think that will um, decide how many teams do get comfortable with what's going on to be able to make moves. Brandon Bean, Bill's GM, saying that he wouldn't be surprised to see less trades happening in this draft because of all of these challenges and hoops that teams will have to jump through and cost-benefit ratio there. So maybe mock drafts will be uh, a whole new series of mock drafts coming out now based on just the limitations that might happen with trades. 
Up next on The Blitz, uh, it's time to hear from some of the guests that we've had recently. Uh, Ray Roberts joining Bob Davenmore, one of our favorites. Uh, We'll hear from him. It's next on The Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Second down and five. Murray tries to step. Oh, straight. Yeah. It's intercepted. Cloudy. 20, 15, 10, 5. Hello, Mr. Clowney. Touchdown, Seahawks. Jadevian Clowney stretched out, reached his arm almost to the ceiling here at State Farm Stadium, pulled the ball down on a screen pass, and took it about 30 yards for six. Welcome back to the Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you. Tuesday, April 7th. Thanks for hanging out this morning with me. The Jadevian Clowney highlights, well, there were a lot of them. And while his numbers didn't necessarily jump off the page in terms of sacks, the amount of pressure, the amount of disruption he created uh, is undeniable, especially if you are a Seahawks fan and you were watching him. And you're now watching free agency, hoping to hear some report about him earlier. This week, we heard from ESPN's Jeremy Fowler that not only were the Titans interested, that was another team that were in the market, uh, but that the Browns also were coming in as heavy competitors. He joined John Clayton yesterday to discuss. If, wait for it, Jeremy, where are you at? Of course, the most recent thing is the interest of the Cleveland Browns, which has been valid uh, for you know some time. Uh, now the question is, can something be worked out? And so, Jeremy, it's like, uh, how how would you gauge the interest and the ability for uh, the Browns to get something done with Jadevi and Clowney? Hey, John. Well, good to be with you. And, uh, you know, I think things are actually a little dormant right now because they uh, they heated up and then nothing got done. So they can revisit. Um, but as far as I know, they, they've they've tried. And uh, right now, you know, they, they got close, but nothing happened. So um, I think it's one of those things where it's either going to be Jadavian Clowney or Olivier Vernon, who's already on the roster, starting a pass rusher for them. And they're just going to see how this plays out. It's It's Seems to be the theme with a lot of teams, uh, probably the Titans included, I would put in there, the Seahawks to an extent, and then the Jets, you know, they, they value him, uh, but they're not willing to go to a certain number. You know, I think 17 million a year is probably the absolute max that some of these teams want to go, and so that's sort of been the holdup. Yeah, unless I mean, I, I know from the Jets' standpoint that they're really not players in this thing because they made one initial phone call at the beginning of free yeah. agency, and what they did is that they, they talked to Buzz Cook, and they basically told, I think, just about everybody, it's like, hey, we spent big in free agency last year. We're looking for yeah. more volume than uh, big money. And so, like, for example, last yeah. year they spent $172 million in contracts on uh, and had 130 of those were in guarantees. You know, This year they're going to spend probably around $100 million, most of them on offense of linemen, but nobody above yeah. $9.1 million. So I, d- I don't think the Jets, even though they have shown interest, I don't think they were players. Right, yeah, they're, they're clearly uh, taking a different approach under Joe Douglas than they did a year ago, and they just went for the splashing names. Um, you know, you look at beginning, what, essentially six offensive linemen or whatever the, the volume is there. Uh, their number one goal, by and large, is to protect Sam Darnold uh, more than it was. Get a pass rusher, but they, they've flirted with a lot of different players, you know, so um, it's going to be interesting. 
uh, to, to see if they, they move forward with anybody. But I, I think they like where they're at and know they can, can fill a lot of needs in the draft at this point. No question. And as far as Tennessee, I mean, there's no question of the interest there. I know that uh, I think John Robinson or Mike Vrabel mentioned it in a press conference. Uh, Vrabel, of course, coached Clowney in Houston. But here's where the problem is. I would imagine, first off, if you're Clowney, and even if you would get $17 million, let's say that uh, you know he can get to $17 million, you're not going to do a multi-year deal. You're going to do a one-year deal because you want the yeah. ability to come back and get over twenty the next year. Okay, so now if you're Tennessee, you just paid you know $9.5 million on a one-year deal to Vic Beasley. You paid you know $3.5 million to Camille Correa, and so that's one year, two players for $13 million of cap room. And now yeah. if it would be 15 14, 17, let's say it's 17, you've got $30 million of your cap tied up in one position. I think as a, and, and again, that position is a uh, outside linebacker pass rusher. I, I think that's right. going to be hard to justify. Yeah, I agree. And I, I really, you look at a lot of these teams have gone the route of getting like the backup slash bridge starter pass rusher. And part of that to send a message. Uh, you have Adrian Claiborne in Cleveland. Uh, you have Correa in Tennessee, and, and so you know Seattle signed Benson Mayoa. Uh, so you know you have a, a guy you can you can start, and he can get you some sacks and spot duty. Um, so that in part it's like, hey, we, we can roll with what we have. You know, we don't need to give you eighteen million a year for you to come here. You know, to the Memphis to Clowney. So um, now, granted, if the price is right, they would love to have him. That's why I still think Cleveland can get back involved, and, and I, I believe as of like last Sunday not yesterday, but the week before, um, a lot of people around the league thought that they were very close to getting something done. It just didn't happen for whatever reason. ESPN's Jeremy Fowler on with the professor. Full interview for you, available for you, 710sports.com. Also yesterday on Danny and Gallant, Quandry Diggs, taking a little break from his workout, literally in between his workout. I chatted with him on the phone. He was very apologetic for being late. I was, it's all right. We understand here. We appreciate it in Seattle, but Quandry Diggs, one of the nicest guys and best Twitter followers yesterday on Danny and Gallant. We're talking to Quandre Diggs here, Seahawks safety. Quandre, I know how much everybody loved the impact you had after your arrival in midseason from Detroit. What, what's it been like for you? This is your first offseason getting ready for the Seahawks, knowing you're a Seahawk. H- how has it been for you to reflect on, on what happened in that half year you were with Seattle? Oh, um, it's cool. Just, you know, for me... I remember I told my girlfriend this when I got home in January, and then this might have been like February. We were actually talking on it, and I was just telling her, you know, it's like it's gonna be cool to actually, you know, put an off season together with the guys on the team, you know, because when I came in mid season, it was just like you throw it into the fire, which is totally fine with me, you know what I mean? But you know, being able to train and be able to prepare my mind and go into that atmosphere and just that environment, just to have fun and play ball. You know, it's dope. And I was telling her, I was like, you know, I'm kind of, and this is, like I said, in February, so you weren't thinking OTAs and stuff was going to be canceled. And I kind of got in a little trouble for this, but I told her, I was just like, you know, it's um, it's kind of cool thinking about how excited I am to get back to work with those guys. And she kind of took it the wrong way at first, thinking I was excited to get back away from her. But um, <laughs> it was more of just the idea of, you know, you going to work and work being fun and you know, you just enjoying the teammates that you're around. You enjoying the coaches, and um, I think that's what you know. What really means a lot to me is that I'm genuinely happy. You know, knowing that I'm a Seattle Seahawk, and you know, um, knowing that the game is fun again for me. 
Yeah, you mentioned that, that it's fun again. I can imagine going from Detroit to Seattle. Yeah, it's, it's got to be a tremendous sense of reinvigoration when you got there. I imagine also this offseason with the social distancing and all the things that we put in place to stop the spread of COVID-19 that you probably want to be around these guys more, as you just mentioned. How have you guys been staying in touch with one another as you guys get ready for the season? Um, You know, right now we're at the point where it's more just, you know, you text, you texting guys. Um, you know, you're just checking on guys, seeing how guys are. You know, um, I try to check in on the young bucks like Keith and Hugo, you know, just to make sure, you know, because it's their first offseason. So, for them, you know, they don't really know, you know, what to expect. Um, and, you know, so I just check on those guys, make sure those guys good. You know that everybody else are veterans with B-Mac and, you know, Shaq and Trey. And, you know, those guys going to work their tail off regardless. But you just check on the young bucks, uh, make sure everything's good with them, you know, uh, extended first off season for them which is unusual you know we'll begin there to go back in the next two or three weeks so um you just check make sure those guys are working which i know they are but you know you just want to touch base with them and um i've talked to bobby i've talked to kj you know um, i talk to those guys pretty frequently because um you know those are two of the leaders on the defense you know i just want to make sure everything's good you mentioned and we're talking to quandre Diggs. you mentioned a peloton bike have you raced any guys on the team on Peloton, or I've seen some players are having sort of group rides. Have you have you hooked up with anybody and raced them yet? Not on our team, you know. Um, you know, one of our former players, Adrian Colbert, um, that's with the Dolphins now. Me and him, we got a bike ride at eleven thirty. Uh, me, him, and then Adrian Phillips, who just signed with the Patriots, we got a bike ride at eleven thirty. Landon Collins rode with us last week, um, so you know that's kind of how it is, but. Honestly, for me, those guys have been riding the bikes. They had like 50 rides, and last week is my first week. So I kind of got thrown in the fire again, and uh, a baptism by fire, that's kind of what it's been. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's challenging. Who's the instructor you guys use? Uh, we use different people. We don't have any, you know, just favors or anything. We just, you know, we pick who we think going to give us a good ride that day, and um, we just kind of go, and, you know, those guys usually beat me by a good margin, but... You know, at least I'm giving a great effort. You and Tyler Tyler Lockett are best friends. This is a tremendous opportunity for you right now, Quandre, to call Tyler Lockett out to a Peloton challenge. I mean, we're looking for anything sports-wise to watch right now. I would totally watch a one-on-one matchup between you two. His Peloton is in Seattle, and he's actually in Texas right now. So I can't even challenge him to a one-on-one because he doesn't even have his bike with him and um, he said he's not going to go back to Seattle for, for a while until everything clears up. <laughs> oh, he's got to get another Peloton. <laughs> man, they all backed up. Now they back orders. So I ordered mine about a month ago, and, you know, I have guys, friends that's tried to order them, and they're just super backed up at the moment. Everyone trying to ride Peloton right now. Uh, and he also said dumbbells. His dumbbells have not come yet after like a month of waiting for them. Please, someone get those to Quandre. One of the nicest guys around. Join Danny and Gallant. Yesterday, you can listen full interview available online at 710sports.com. Up next on the Blitz, it's time for the hot list. A unique scenario that would be like baseball on Mars, but would have baseball back by as early as May. It's next on the Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines Studio, this is The Blitz. It's time for 
the hot list. Holy mackerel. The headlines for the day in sports every morning at 645. Heck yes. What are we missing here? A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. Let's go. Brown has hired veteran agent uh, Ed Wasileski of EMG Sports to represent, represent him in pursuit of a return to the NFL this season. Uh, Brown, seven-time Pro Bowl wide receiver, recent electee to the all-decade list, is a free agent who wasn't on an active roster for most of the 2019 season. The Oakland Raiders parted with Brown when he was publicly demanding his release after the preseason. He was active for one game with the New England Patriots, but was released shortly after amid sexual assault allegations. Additionally, the state of Florida has levied three formal charges against Brown for an alleged January assault that assault that resulted in his arrest. He faces felony burglary, conveyance, misdemeanor battery, and misdemeanor criminal mischief charges, according to the county court documents obtained. By ESPN in January, agent Drew Rosenhaus terminated his relationship with Brown. Commissioner Roger Goodell informed all 32 NFL clubs that the draft this season would proceed in a fully virtual format. This was a memo he sent out yesterday, and Tom Pelissero of the NFL Network obtained a copy. A league and club facilities are set to remain closed indefinitely to ensure the NFL is in compliance with current regulations due to the 2019 COVID pandemic, and therefore clubs were advised to prepare to conduct the draft outside of their facilities. Team personnel also advised to be in separate locations using phone and the internet to communicate. Um, So how will this play out? Well, Brandon Bean, Bill's GM, recently joining the Adam Schefter podcast, talked about how technology will aid first in their draft evaluation. To, to do these uh, these 30 visits, so to speak. So uh, we're having to, you know, spread our wings between our scouts, our, you know, our coaches, myself, Sean, and just try and touch as many players as we can that maybe we would have, you know, invited to Buffalo, to, you know, to visit with. And, and then even the technology with our scouts. You know, every all of us in this industry are used to having all our scouts and, and our coaches coming in and, and talking through positions. And we're all, we've all had to adjust you know, to video conferencing and, and just being able to work through it. In the end, though, Wendy, uh, it's the same for all 32 teams, so I think we'll all, you know, get to the right answer. Um, but he did say, acknowledge that it will make things difficult, and in his mind, trades especially difficult. He wouldn't be surprised if you see less of those. You know, if you're trying to, let's say, trade up for a pick um, or, or trade out of a pick, you know, I may have three different people talking to three different teams, and I may be texting back and forth with one um, that I've had a conversation with. So you could have different options on the table, Adam, and that's where it will get harder because, you know, you can only talk to so many different people in remote sites um, to where normally you'd be in the same room, you know, five, six feet away from each other. So I think all that will limit um, to your point, and and I wouldn't be surprised if there were less trades this year than what we normally see. The NBA, kind of following similar suit, informed teams yesterday that organizations will be prohibited from conducting in-person workouts or interviews with draft-eligible players until further notice. NBA teams will be allowed to conduct virtual interviews with draft prospects, but are limited to four hours total for any single player. The guidelines are in place for an indefinite period during the coronavirus pandemic. Adam Silver, NBA commissioner, also spoke 
about the conversation that all the league leaders and executives had with President Trump um, last over the weekend and talked about how it's too early and there's not enough information right now to make predictions about a return timetable. The fact is now sitting here today, I know less in a way than I did then. Wow. I think I think in some ways, just as I listen to the public health experts and the people um, that are advising us, the virus is potentially moving faster than maybe we had thought at that point, and that it therefore may peak earlier. Um, what that means in terms of our ability to come back at some point in late spring or, or summer is still unknown to me. And essentially what I've told my folks over the last week is that we should just accept that at least for the month of April, we won't be in a position to make any decisions. And that, I don't think that necessarily means on May 1st we will be, but at least I know, I think just to settle everyone down a little bit, it doesn't mean that internally, both the league and in discussions with our, our players and the teams, we aren't looking at many different scenarios for restarting the season. But I think it honestly is just too early, given what's happening right now, to be even able to project or project or predict where we'll be in a few weeks. NBA Commissioner Adam Silver said they're in listening mode about single site games, about potential contingency plans for having a tournament, a playoff of sorts, but just listening mode as of now. He also said that he's learned not to make predictions about COVID-19 and that information here will be key. He also said, this is interesting too, that there will come a point when next season gets impacted. Sort of the first week, first two weeks, we were looking at more specific scenarios in terms of if we start this date, what will that mean for the regular season? When would the playoffs begin? When would they conclude? And again, what I've learned over the last few weeks is that we just have too little information to make those sort of projections. Sorry. I, I will say though, that as I look out into the summer, there does come a point at which we would start impacting next season. Now, even there, I think a few weeks ago, nobody thought we were talking about even a potential impact on next season, independent of what we might choose to do to finish our regular season and playoffs. Uh, As of now, there's still no word on it, but as Adam Silver said, he feels almost in many ways like he knows less than he did before. For the first time, Hard Knocks is planning to feature two teams in the same summer, and they're in the same city, the Los Angeles Rams and the Los Angeles Chargers, according to ESPN in their report. This is also contingent on if there are training camps, but no announcement planned formally. The NFL and NFL films are focused on the first virtual draft in league history because of the coronavirus pandemic, half their plateful. But NFL Films, which produces the show with HBO, said they would be excited to have not one but two teams volunteer for Hard Knocks. The announcement had been scheduled to be made at last week's NFL annual meeting, but the meeting was canceled due to the pandemic. NFL Films plans for the show to go on, assuming training camp does. Of course, not would not be the Rams' first appearance on the show. Lasted it in 2016 and. Or Jared Goff, yes, that was the infamous sun-setting comment, sun-rising comment. Uh, yeah, well, the NCAA is dealing with a whole other set of issues than a lot of professional teams right now because of how their revenue works. And having fans in the stadium is a big part of how college football makes its money and how all the other sports programs make their money. So a lot of uh, athletic directors and conference commissioners in uh, in a scary place right now. 
Bob Bowlesby, Big 12 commissioner, he talked about the contingencies of what if there is no football season and sports getting cut isn't inconceivable, he said. Also, Jack Swarback, a Notre Dame AD, was on, I believe it was, uh, whose podcast was it? I don't remember. It was on ESPN, but he talked about how college football, he thinks they need fans. Potentially, I could see it starting that way. You know, maybe you say, we're going to play a game or two that way. I don't think you can conduct a season that way. I think spectators are too central to the experience. Uh, I don't think it would be fair to our students. You know, and I, 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 I'm, I don't like the idea of our, our game day stadia just being television studios. Uh, and they, they need to be alive with people in attendance. So I do think that's a big question. I think might be able to do a little bit of it, but it can't be the model for a, for a season. Well, it could be a lot stranger for Major League Baseball, who has a plan on the table right now. Still plenty of discussion to come between MLBPA and MLB, but they're focused on a plan that could allow them to start the season as early as May and would still have the support of high-ranking federal public health officials who believe the league can safely operate amidst the coronavirus pandemic. The plan would stipulate that all 30 teams have to play at stadiums in Arizona, Uh, In the greater Phoenix area, no fans in attendance, um, but the stadiums would include Arizona Diamondbacks Chase Field, plus 10 spring training facilities, maybe even some other nearby fields. Players, coaching staffs, other essential personnel would be sequestered at local hotels. They would live in really relative isolation. They would only go to and from the stadium, uh, according to sources on this. And some believe that this would follow all of the guidelines necessary and be able to happen as soon as May. Others believe a June opening day would be more realistic because one of the biggest stipulations here is widely available coronavirus tests, tests with a quick turnaround time. And right now, those are not even available to the general public. You do not want to diminish access for the general public for uh, Major League Baseball players who most of which are considered with their health and uh, age range to be of the low risk. Now, this doesn't mean that all players, coaches, and umpires and personnel uh, would not be at risk as well, and their health and safety is to be considered. But those uh, tests need to be readily available. That's one huge stipulation of this deal, which will be discussed, the economics of which the money will be discussed also a lot. But you could see even more changes coming to the game, including seven-inning doubleheaders, uh, using an electronic strike zone to help make, maintain sufficient distance between the umpire, the catcher, the batter. No mound visits from the catcher or pitching coach. More on the field mic'd up players to add content to TV broadcast because no fans on the stand. And then maybe one of the most unusual stipulations, in my opinion, it's having, instead of in the dugout, the players and coaches sitting in the empty stands six feet apart So respecting the social distancing space, but not in the dugout. This could be a very different world of baseball, but it's why both MLBPA and MLB are motivated uh, to make it happen still because they want some version of baseball to happen in 2020 if it is safe and possible. Just want to give a quick shout out to the members of the Seahawks that made the NFL All-Decade team. They were well represented. The NFC West in general was really well represented, 12 players from there. But the Seahawks uh, had five people, Bobby Wagner, Richard Sherman, Earl Thomas, Marshawn Lynch, and Coach Pete Carroll. Finally, Pete Pete getting some due as well. Always left off the Coach of the Year Awards. So shout out to all of them. 
That's a wrap for the hot list and the entire Blitz at 6 Hour. Danny and Gallant coming your way next right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.